following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. Well, good morning. We are alive this morning. Pastor, I want to thank you for allowing me to share your pulpit this morning and share my heart. Um, but I'd like to go to the Lord in prayer. Father Lord, we just come to you this morning. And, and we live in a world right now that's full of turmoil and trouble. Lord, I ask that you give us the strength and the courage and the boldness to walk our Christian walks. Because we will be tested. Lord, I lift up the families of the Simpsons who lost his son Joe and Colette who lost her husband Earl and Michael lost his grandmother and his father in one week. Lord, I just ask that the Holy Spirit give them peace and comfort and rest. Lord, for the 13 service members that gave their life in defense of our country, these young patriots, I, I ask that you have the Holy Spirit come to their family and loved ones and just give them strength and encouragement. Lord, just uh, just be with them in a special way. And Father, this morning I pray for us, for our church. Lord, the evil one will be attacking us when we're tired, when we're frustrated, when we're discouraged. And this morning we'll talk about faith in you and only you, God, because you are God. And we love you and we thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. And it's in this special name we pray this morning. Amen. I also have a special prayer this morning that the message we're about to hear will help us to understand what faith looks like operating in our life. You know, we the last six, seven, eight months, we've been talking about fearless faith and we've been going through Hebrews 11 and we've been speaking about specific by faith, Moses did this. By faith, Rahab did this. Well, we need to make it a little bit more personal for us as Christian brothers and sisters. And uh, so I, hopefully it, this message will encourage you in that way. And I have, it sounds like a lot, but it's really not. I have seven really quick points to demonstrate how we activate fearless faith in our lives. Uh, Fearless faith, what I want to use this morning for our, our scripture verse is Hebrews 11, verse 1, and kind of unpack that this morning um, as we go on. From the ESV, it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. When I talk this morning, I might use the word you or I might use the word our. But as I was writing this, I'm, it was to me. I'm, I'm part of the hour. I'm part of the use. You know, I could take out all those words and just insert me. And maybe you can do the same. Uh, I find that most efforts to explain faith often fall short because it's an intangible that can't be experienced with the natural senses. We can't smell it, touch it, taste it, feel it, or anything like that. Uh, it's an essence. 
It's, it's the heart's work to the promises of God and toward the God of promises. So as I understand it, faith is better understood really by examining, examining it in action rather than just by trying to analyze it as a standalone word. So let's try to put together this morning the pieces of the faith puzzle, put them together and see if we can get a clear picture of the, how the operation of faith in the life of a believer emerges, begins to emerge. My first point this morning is this. Faith hears the voice of God through this concaphony of voices that demand our attention. We have so much information being put into our brains. You watch the news, you talk to people, you read magazines, whatever. We have all the distractions of the world going on. But God, his voice cuts straight through that if we listen for him. In Galatians 3, 2, it says this. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? See, the voice of this life, they speak loudly. But faith is able to sort them out and distinguish the voice of God in the midst of them. But you know, you have to listen for it. And when you hear it, it just puts like everything on. I just got new hearing aids. and They're great. Because when I get a lot of noise, I can just hit. I, we went out to dinner last night. The rest of it was noisy. I just hit this button and I could hear Cindy talk, but I couldn't hear anybody else. And sometimes that might be good. I, I don't know. <laughs> Jury's still out. <laughs> but... That's how I envision this voice of God working in our life. And so, but when we look at things, the voice of conformity, the voice of the world cries out, you know, you don't want to be different. Yeah, you don't want people to think you're kind of weird or or goofy. You, You know, we have to live like these people. So we have to look and walk and dress and act and talk like them. But you know what faith says? Faith says, I would rather be right with God than accepted by man. The voice of reason might say to us, again, the voice of the world, how could a good God allow all the suffering in the world? It breaks my heart when I watch the things going on in Afghanistan. It breaks my heart. God's plan is perfect. He knows what he's doing. You know, sometimes the world will say, we need real answers, and just believing in God is, is not fixing the problem. Or maybe we just, in lieu of the COVID virus, we just need to invest more money into science and research, and that has solved the problem. You know, but Galatians 1.4, when it's speaking of Jesus, says this, who gave himself for our sins, Deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. What I glean from that is quite simply, Jesus didn't come to fix this present world. Didn't do it. He intends to do what? Deliver us from it. And then what's he going to do? He's going to put us in the perfect, perfect eternity, heaven. So faith says, I choose that world and not this world. The voice of the world again might say intolerance 
you know, everyone has their own God or his own concept of God, and no one's idea of God is any more important than anybody else. It would be arrogant for you to claim your God is more important than somebody else's God. I don't know, have you ever heard people say that? I have. But you know what faith says, speaking of the Lord Jesus in Acts uh, 4.12? It says, there is no salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Pretty definitive. Pretty definitive. Again, the voice of world in a materialistic sense says, you have to be somebody. You have to be successful. And if you're going to be successful, you're going to have to remain focused and be willing to do whatever it takes to advance your business or career goals. That's what the world tells us. But faith says in Matthew 6, 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You know, the voice of the world again says, forget God, enjoy your life, buy yourself a big boat, go golfing, buy an RV, whatever. You can deal with the hereafter later. (laughs) Wow. Wow. But faith hears the voice of Jesus by saying this in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all who labor and are heavily laden, and I will give you rest. So we have to choose to ignore these demanding, distracting voices and obey the voice of God instead. You know, the voices of this world, as I said earlier, they're they're loud and they're distracting, but faith hears the voice of God through all that confusion, through all that chaos, and it demands our attention. And we need to listen to his voice instead of the distractions. My second point is simply this. Faith reaches beyond this world into eternity and lays hold to eternity's God. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 27, it says this, speaking of Moses, by faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he has endured as seeing him who is invisible. You know, faith deems eternity's God more valuable than worldly kings. And you could take the word king out of there and put stuff. We should, (laughs) faith gives us a spiritual eye into our hearts and makes us be able to see God who is invisible. We, We can feel his presence. Faith enables us to see the unseen God of eternity and it produces this endurance that we have that just boggles the mind and defies explanation to the casual observer. Have you ever seen God perform? We prayed for things. Everyone says, no, nah, it never work. It's, it's a done deal. And it gets changed because God hears our prayers. Here's the prayers of the faithful. And if it's in his will, and we have to accept it's his will, we didn't negotiate with God. We didn't barter with God. We asked the prayer, if it's your will, Lord, let this happen. And we see these examples all the time. We see God working. 
But, you know, sometimes faith's endurance is beyond human understanding. In Hebrews eleven thirty six to 40, it kind of describes the endurance faith, the endurance that faith can generate. So let's read, uh, read this morning Hebrews eleven thirty six to 40. 38 starts with, Others suffered mocking and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They were went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. And of whom the world was not worthy, wandered among in the deserts and the mountains and in the dens and the caves of the earth. Verse 39 says, And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. According to verse 39 and 40, they endured these things through faith. By faith they reached beyond this world into eternity, and they laid hold of eternity's God. They endured unspeakable atrocities counting eternity's God more valuable than anything that a king or a ruler or a president or a prime minister of this world could offer them. So faith is the hand of the heart that reaches out and gives us a universal offer of forgiveness. And we have to grasp it to ourselves. It's an action. We, it's offered, we have to take it. We have, but to take it means submit to it. Be completely sold out. Romans 10.13 says this, For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. You know, faith reaches out and offers whosoever, and we accept the offer as being personal to us. One of my favorite commentators said this, He said, God has redeemed the world into himself through the sacrifice of his son. But it is personally appropriated only through individual faith that reaches out for the offer and accepts it as being yours. We have to reach out. It's not going to be put on a plate in front of us. We have to take some action. You see, there's, there's no forced acceptance or a blanket coverage for forgiveness. While it's been made available to us by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, it's only giving to those who personally receive it by faith. Faith. It's a gift that can only be received by our heart reaching out to receive it. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 describe it like this. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. You know, forgiveness, salvation, being born again is all by the grace of God. And it's a gift, and it's all a gift of God. But only becomes ours by an action of our hearts to reach out with the hand of faith and accept it as being ours personally. Faith allows God to pry our grips from everything that is sacred to us. 
so that he might be all we possess. The stuff we have means nothing. The relationship means everything. You know, when we get saved, God begins this process of prying our hands loose for everything that we hold on to so that he might be our truly only possession. And faith allows this without becoming bitter for him doing so. You know, sometimes, I'm putting my hand up, we resist. Uh, sometimes we get angry and bitter during the process and and the experience of sometimes the deep loss that accompanies us losing something valuable to us. But you know, in the end, faith kicks in and submits to God's plan for our life. Rhetorical question this morning, because I'm sure everyone's felt this way. Have you experienced in your life this kind of testing? I've shared this story a couple once or twice, but I think it's worthwhile. It's personal. And it's not to boast or brag. I'm going to tell you with true humility. In 2005, we came home from church one Sunday, and Cindy, I was upstairs, and uh, I heard this scream, scream I'd never heard before from, from Cindy. And she was flopping around on the couch, like a fish. Long story short, we took her to the hospital. They didn't know what was going on. We saw a specialist. They finally figured out that for some reason, the bile ducts going into the liver had calcified and that there was nothing they could do. And so she had to go on a transplant list. We were active in the church. Actually, I was on staff of the church. But I'll tell you, my faith was tested. And what we did for the first year is we saw doctors after doctors after doctors. We had a doctor at the University of Pennsylvania that was an MD, a PhD, and an ED. Doctor, doctor, doctor. So I asked him one day, I said, we can make artificial hearts and all this stuff. Why can't we make an artificial liver? He said, oh, yeah, we could, but it would have to fit in the 10 by 10 by 10 foot room for all the stuff that the liver does in the body. I came home because, like, to get a liver transplant, you get on the list, and there's three different categories of chemical tests they do, and essentially you have to almost be dead before you get the liver, if, in fact, the liver's available. So Cindy and I, we prayed, and uh, prayed a lot, and we just said, Lord, we've done everything we can Humanly, we've gone to everyone, the best of the best. They can't fix this. Only you can. And that was my, Pastor calls it the Gethsemane moment. That's where I took my stake and I drove it in the ground and I said, here's where it is. Lord, we trust you. Our faith resides in you. And if it's your will she gets healed, Lord, it's your will. And if it's your will that she goes, we know where she's going. Was I going to be happy about that? No. But we had a, a certainty. We, we, we had a, a peace about that. It was just killing me because as a guy, you know, I have like a 10-mile screwdriver and if something's broken, I'm going to fix it and stuff like that. 
I, I learned what impotence means. Total, well, you can't do anything except go to your knees and say, Lord, I don't understand it, but I know it's your will. Long story short, we kept the faith. Ever go through that testing? That fire that refines you? Man, it's, it's, it's tough. Because you have to do, I had to go through and have this real tough, you know, uh, investigation of what was right and what was wrong in my life. And you have to bear yourself open. And then you have to go to the Creator and confess this sin and these sins. And it's for me, it was humiliating. You know, I was in the ministry, and I'm, I'm showing, I'm going to God saying, hey, I have failed you in so many ways, and you know what? I am so despicable, I don't know why you even listen to me. But we serve a great God who shows mercy, who shows grace to us, who's there for us all through the, th- th- through the fire. The ability to control or to affect our circumstances is very difficult to turn loose. I can tell you, I, it was one year almost to the day when we just said, there's nothing we can do. But if someone told me there was somebody in Bangladesh that could do this, I would have gone on a plane to Bangladesh because I still wanted to influence the action. But, you know, as long as we're in control... Faith will never operate at its maximum capacity. We have to trust God through the myriad of circumstances that confront us. We talked about this this morning. Being a Christian is not easy. It's not for sissies, let me tell you that. So what we have to do is with our great reluctance, we have to, let, we have to go with God. Step by step, God tries to pry. Well, not to try, he does prize our grip loose from the control that we have over our life. Guys, I think it's wired in our DNA. We want to be in charge. We want to be in control. Who likes confusion in their life? I hate it. If there's chaos, my son, he's the master of chaos. You know, he'll call me, and I'll put it on speakerphone, and then I'll have to hit mute because it's like, wow, wow, wow. You know, he's all over the map. And I'm like, dude, I can't do this. <laughs> you know, tell me one thing. Don't tell me how to reinvent the wheel and all that stuff. It just, I, it just, I'm not that smart. I can't control it. But you know, the things that I've found that are most difficult to let go of are God ordained responsibilities. Those are the responsibilities that we feel have been given us to God, by God himself. And you know what? We are, we are determined to fulfill them because our commitment is to be faithful to God. You know, sometimes we lose family members or we lose people from our lives who are, are very important to us or 13 servicemen that we don't know anything about. But we feel sad. And I'm sure for those surviving family members right now, 
in some degree they feel that their world has come to an end. Here's another example. Sometimes we lose things which might include our ministry, what we feel we're being led by God to do, or ministry-related responsibilities. You know, sometimes God removes that ministry that he's called us to or called me to in order to remind us that he is to be the focus of our life. It's not our service. It's our focus. And sometimes we become so engrossed in the ministry of God that we neglect the God of the ministry. Apostle Paul understood this action on the part of God and he understood his purpose. In Philippians 3.8, he says this, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. You know, God will often crush, he, not often, he must crush the superficial in us. Superficial, skin deep, not deep. He has to do that to in order to rebuild us as substantive spiritual men and William, uh, women. We talked about it this morning, Susan did. It gives us substance. It's... It becomes our core beliefs. It's our character. In 1 Samuel 2, verses 6 and 7, it describes the process like this. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. You know, the process that's in the book of Hebrews, it's called chastisement. It not only includes correcting wrong, wrongdoings, but it also removes the weights that hold us back from all that God intends us to be. I can't do that, Lord. It's not within my. It's not in my wheelhouse. Or, yeah, I, I just I'm not that eloquent, or I don't have the time, or I'm not strong enough, or. Uh, it's really not what I want to do. When the Lord removes those weights, he's doing that, all these, all these naysaying thoughts, when he removes that, it's, he's making us to what he intends us to be. Hebrews 12.1 says, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which has uh, doth so easily beset us. So these weights, these hindrances, these drawbacks, as well as sin, you know, they, they can inhibit our growth and our spiritual process. You know, and we just can't dial that stuff in, and we, we just can't, you know, yeah, I'm working on this, and I'm working on God knows the sincerity of our heart. He knows if we're being superficial, or we being real, or we being substantive. You know, sometimes it says, for the moment, all disciplines seem painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. You know, there's a joyous yield to people who, by faith, 
allow God to pry their grips loose from everything that we hold sacred in order that he might be our only possession. My fifth point is this. Faith is an oasis of rest from the demands of justice. The past the last two weeks have been talking about rest and sabbatical. Cindy mentioned it this morning. You know when when I get when I'm most susceptible is when I'm tired. When I haven't had enough sleep, I haven't taken care of myself, I've overthought the problem. But Hebrews nine, four through eleven says this. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. I'm glad I have a just God. But you know what justice demands? Worldly justice? We must work, we must meet its demands, or we'll pray the price if we don't fulfill it. That's the world. Faith says this, I haven't met the demands, but the price has been paid. I therefore rest in the paid price without having to struggle to meet the demands. It's been paid. You know, we're not exempt from the demands or the prices for failing to meet them, but we can take comfort, or you can't take comfort in just justice and separate it from faith. Those who rest in faith have found a desert, an oasis in the desert. Hebrew 4.12 says this, where he talks about the differing conditions. In verse 2 it says, For good news came to us, justice to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not unified by faith with those who listened. We also, You guys need to come to the get ready class, because we talked about this this morning. Unity, faith, Christian brothers and sisters, when we're all focused strictly on giving our lives to God, there's a unity. We're a congregation of like-minded people. So faith provides a rest of uh, exemption from the demands of the law, the world, and the penalty of those who fail to keep the law. Some people struggle to please God on their efforts and their merits. Faith rests on the righteousness that's already been purchased for us and given to us. The labor we are offering now is simply the labor uh, like a loving child who wants to do some good deed on on the one who's captured our hearts. Think about it. The peace that is given to us wrought in the heart of the one whose faith rests securely in the finished work of the Lord Jesus on his behalf. That's where our faith should be. It's been purchased. It's been paid. We've been washed clean. Our slate is done. It's clean, never to be thrown up at us again. Romans 5 one says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Six, and this is probably most applicable to us. 
Faith is the shield that kind of quenches the evil one and the world's flaming arrows. Ephesians 6.16 says this, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. The wicked one, Satan, he hurls fiery flaming darts at us and intends to destroy our enthusiasm, our work, and our passion for the Lord. Has that? Has anybody ever had that happen? Where things you think are going great, and all of a sudden, wham! And you get the doubt, and the... the the, the confusion and the chaos and uh, you, you question things that you shouldn't really question. When it says fiery darts, I think that implies that there's some pain there. He's not throwing jelly beans at us. He's throwing darts, arrows. What the evil one wants to do is to render us ineffective for the kingdom of God. And make us miserable at the same time in our own life right now. He takes great pleasure in that. I'm going to ask you to do something. If you don't do it, start doing it now. Pray for the pastor. Because when you're doing Lord's work, who do you think is on your shoulder ready to hit you with that flaming arrow? Pray for the elders, the deacons. You do God's work, the promise is the devil's going to come after you. So ask for this sake, their, uh, their strength. But you know what? Faith says this in 1 Timothy 3.12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Jesus Christ will be persecuted. It ain't easy, folks. What scripture say? Will be persecuted. However, the shield of faith, it says, rather than accepting these flaming arrows as discouragement, count on them as confirmation that my life is counting in the kingdom of God. You know what that says? God just threw a big pail of water on those flaming darts. What power does this fiery arrow of the wicked have to effect damage in our lives? when we have this mighty shield of faith that rises up and I like watching like Braveheart. You ever watch when they, they fire all these arrows and the guys put up their shields and they're protected? That's what, that's what it does. And those darts just like they're falling into a pool of water. So faith is the shield that quenches the wicked's fiery darts. And then finally, faith is the substantiated witness of the unseen kingdom of God within us. You know, those who look for confirmation of, of, of God's uh, yet unseen kingdom in the natural world, you know what? We will be met with disappointment. We want confirmation. We get disappointment. You know, sometimes people, their dreams go unfulfilled and their expectations often go unmet. So what they do is they look for confirmation of the reality of God's kingdom through the circumstances of life or the expected intervention of God in them, and that often proves to be disappointing. 
Why? Because we're looking at it with our perspective and not with God's will. In Luke 17, verses 20 and 21, it says this very clearly. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he, Jesus, answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. Behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Faith is the confirmation of the unseen reality. Our text verse this morning was, Now faith is the assurance of things, not, uh, things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is the witness inside of us confirming the unseen reality of the existence of what God has promised. Do we believe his promises this morning? If you don't, talk to the pastor. Talk to me. Talk to God. Please. Faith is the witness. Faith is also a witness to those around us that the unseen kingdom of God, heaven, is just as real as this visible world that we exist in today. There is a heaven. There is a hell. Where do you want to live? I, I figured that out pretty quickly. You know, so within all of us, faith is that significant witness of the reality of the unseen kingdom of God. You know, faith hears the voice of God through these distorted and just blaring of voices in our head that demand our attention, yet the voice of God answers the call. Faith reaches beyond this world into eternity and lays hold of eternity's God. Faith is the hand of the heart that reaches out to the universal offer of forgiveness and grasps it for ourselves. Faith allows God to pry our grips from everything sacred to us that he might be all we possess. Faith is the oasis from the demands of justice. Faith is a shield that quenches the wicked flaming arrows. And faith is the witness of the unseen kingdom of God within you. Reader's Digest version is this. Faith hears, faith sees. Faith grasps, faith allows. Faith rests, faith quenches, and faith witnesses. So I have a question for you this morning. Has your faith lifted you out of the mire of effort, of self-pity, of hopelessness, of struggle, of confusion, of purposelessness? That's a tough word. Or has it instead built in you peace, confidence, joy, rejoicing, expectation, rest, purpose? If it hasn't, the word of God in Romans ten seventeen says this. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. 
You know, this morning, I don't know how much more I could tell you. We have heard the word of God. So once our faith has been activated, we must exercise our faith in the areas that have been promised to us. And come on up. We need to hear the voice of God. We need to hold on to God and attach ourselves to Him. We have to grasp God's promises and we need to personalize them. We have to allow God to be the master gardener and kind of prune our life without us getting mad or angry about it. We can do that. We get angry. We need to rest in him. We need to use him as our shield when the wicked one comes after us. And we have to be confident in our place in the kingdom of God. It's when you know that you know that you know. If you know that you're going to heaven this morning, when we leave this bodily tent, would you say amen? I don't know how else to say it best. It would break my heart that if someone in this room this morning, when time for us to leave this body and we go to heaven, you're not there. This is a time this morning that if you need to recommit or even make that initial decision, would you please do that? And it's really simple. We admit we're sinners. We believe that Jesus Christ, through his death, burial, and resurrection, shed his blood to wipe our slate clean. And that we confess our sins. We can't hide from God. He knows what they are anyway. He wants our obedience. So this morning, I'm not pressing you or trying to make you feel guilty because that's not my intent. But if you have to make a decision to recommit or to accept Christ, would you let the pastor or the deacons know this morning? I love you and I like you. (laughs) Y'all have a great day. Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.